Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Hey, greetings. Thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason, but you knew that because you just heard that in the introduction. Got a great show for you today because I have a great guest. His name is Jim Wiesmeyer. He's the Washington, D.C. policy analyst for Pro Farmer and Farm Journal. If you keep up with agriculture and uh, you um, clearly do because you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard from Mr. Wiesmeyer. He's a smart dude. He's been on this podcast before. We're going to talk about the stimulus package, the current event under coronavirus, and what it means for all of us trying to keep our business alive in the business of agriculture. Jim Wiesmeyer, welcome to the show. It's always good to be on, Damien. Okay, so you and I know each other, a little bit of background. Uh, Mr. Wiesmeyer does speeches on the road, not quite as much as I do. That's because he's not as young as me. He, he didn't have to work as hard as I do. He's, he's, he's smart. He's, he, he just hangs out. And, but he's not that smart because the last time we crossed paths, it was January in Fargo. And I'm thinking, why are you still out here bumping the road in February, January in Fargo? It builds character, if nothing else. Fargo in January. Yeah, so that's the last time we crossed paths, but you you keep up, and I keep up with some of your stuff, and man, we've been all over it. Okay, so here's the quick and dirty on this. We got $349 billion that's allegedly going to small business. Farms generally are small businesses. They have less than 500 employees, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, we have about, I think I read 23 to $25 billion that's going toward um, farming and agriculture in specific with uh, this stimulus package. So yeah, break it down. Nine and a half billion that gives the Ag Secretary pretty wide discretionary authority in direct payments and otherwise. And then you've got the $14 billion added on to what we call Commodity Credit Corporation borrowing authority. And that's what they use for the trade mitigation payments before. Yeah, for instance, like when I get a little payment for my uh, my CRP ground, I've got 16 acres of conservation reserve program. So every October I get a deposit in my checking account from, and, and it's, I believe it comes from the CCC, am I right? It does, it okay. does. So I'm familiar. So that's also where the monies come from that go toward, uh, MFP, et cetera, et cetera. And ARC, the uh, you know, price loss coverage program, the ARC payment program, uh, you know, you know, individual payments like that. And that's why it has to be replenished every once in a while because the cap now prior to this uh, rescue plan was thirty was thirty billion dollars. Uh, they replenished it. Uh, by 14 billion. So th there was about eight to nine billion dollars remaining in the CCC. So they added 14 billion. So they have 23 billion dollars in the CCC right now. I forgot to really make this clear to our listeners. The reason you're listening today is we're going to tell you what this means to you. We're going to tell you what the stimulus bill means to you and how you can benefit from it. Or if you can't, you can at least, if you're customers, let's say you sell seed, you sell fertilizer, let's say you're in the equipment business, you're in the food processing business, we're going to give you the lay of the land so we can figure out 
how these programs can be utilized to your benefit. That's what we're all talking about. Besides getting hung up in the numbers and the letters, by the way, my wife just asked me the other day, she says, what's MFP? And I said, it's margin finance protection, margin what the hell was it? Facilitation program. Market market facilitation program. market facilitation program. I remember learning it when I went to the first meeting, and then by the time they're talking MFP three, I just like I don't know. I guess it's MFP three. I can't remember what it stands for to be honest with you. <laughs> trade mitigation program. Yeah, now they say trade trade mitigation. I got in trouble uh, because I said, "Hey, farm people, I know it's trendy to say this is tariff relief." Um, Prices aren't where they are because of uh, tariffs. They're where they are because we've got a whole bunch of supply. Supply sets price, not tariffs. Would you at least back me up on that? Uh, somewhat, although certain commodities like soybeans, we used to ship a, a lot of U.S. soybeans to uh, China, and and it's the psychology in the marketplace too, and that delves into uh, you know the the downward pressure that we've seen, but it, it, the Chinese uh, structure did impact soybeans, uh, cotton, uh, you, know, uh, you know, beef and, uh, and cattle, uh, but now they're starting to come back to the marketplace. But primarily it's a function, you're right, of S&D as we say, supply yeah. and demand. Yeah, but you're right, the supply, the supply was impacted by oversupply, but also the demand and also the marketplace sentimentality and psychology. If you don't believe that it's an emotional, remember fundamentals, do dictate over time, but human emotion is not without its influence. Look at the stock market of the last week or two. We've been up and we've been down. I mean, you got people, you have people that are going bananas like, okay, I'm going to sell and just take all what's left and buy bullets. I'm like, oh, well, I <laughs> so it's a, there's a human emotional aspect to yeah, this. Absolutely. Yeah, when right. you have exaggerated markets when you're in emotional markets, both on the downside and the upside, and we've seen it almost every day, up five to to six percent, down five to six percent. I mean, volatility rules the day right now because of uncertainty. And as you said, it's not just on the downside. I'm I've been paying attention for long enough to remember Alan Greenspan, former Fed chairman, said the words irrational exuberance, and that was uh, twenty plus years ago when he said those words. Yeah. Now, absolutely. now we might have now we might have irrational exiting uh, the system. But ov overall, what this two trillion dollar rescue package is all about, because it was passed by the House today, earlier in the week by the Senate, will be signed uh, by uh, you know President Trump probably this weekend as soon as possible. This gives needed cash flow uh, into agriculture and the agribusiness sector relative to the different program. So we have a combination of direct payments go that's going to go out, not just to the farmers, but to the, uh, the, the whole of America, assuming you don't make too much. But for farming, uh, they'll get uh, part of that nine and a half billion dollars will be direct payments that's gonna probably be focused on the cattle market initially. USDA has to come up with some type of program. You're going to see for dairy, you're going to very likely, it's an easy prediction, that USDA, sooner rather than later, will come out with an announcement that they're going to purchase X million dollars worth of uh, you know, dairy products in order to, 
in, in order to uh, increase the price. And then as part of the CCC, probably sometime this summer, Damien, they'll come out with, they won't call it MFP, so it won't be MFP3, because Sonny Perdue, the Ag Secretary, uh, has already said, don't count on that. Well, now he's got to get a cover here. And so it'll be called something else, but it is coming because they're going to use, uh, I think they're going to have to get in a phase four of, of a rescue plan. They're going to have to get additional billions of dollars into USDA CCC. So okay. we're going to pump a lot of cash flow into ag. Okay, so the $14 billion and the $9.5 billion, that's part of this bigger $2 trillion. Or is this, is this was this separate from this? I don't know. This fourteen billion was part of the two trillion. Yeah, and, yes. the, nine, and the nine and a half billion. I remember seeing that also was part would, of it as well. Okay, that's that, part of it as well. One thing, if you're in the business of ag, that I saw Jim was that they were saying it might even impact uh, like specialty crops. Usually, the almonds, or shall we say, the peanuts, or the cherries, or you know, things that I don't know as much about. Uh, but I've spoken to those organizations. Be you know, I, I just don't know as much about the ins and outs of what their programs look like. They are going to get program money now tossed at them. Uh, yes, the nine and a half billion dollar language says if a grower has been impacted by the COVID-19 virus. And that's going to be pretty uh, wide definition. So this gives USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue wide discretionary authority out there, uh, which I think is good because it's just not going to be limited to the major program crops that we've seen with the MFP, uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, uh, hogs, uh, you know, got some of that money. But now we're going to open it up to specialty crops, uh, you name it, uh, that, that, you know, part of the nine and a half billion dollars. Okay. And you mentioned dairy. Uh, two interesting aspects on that are... Um uh, I rent my farmland to a large-scale dairy producer, and he and I obviously are in contact. He rents my tillable property. He milks, say, a couple thousand cows. There have been programs in the past that he was not eligible for, or he was only eligible for, let's say they gave him, you know, I'm not using you know any numbers, but let's just say the USDA gave him $80,000. Well, the man sells $800,000 worth of milk per month. So you're talking about one-tenth of one month's uh, <laughs> revenue. It's like, thanks, guys. Um, you know, this is a spit in the wind because they limited it on size. Yes. I don't – the good thing about this program, if you're just saying they're going to go out and buy cheese like we saw in the 80s, government cheese, that doesn't – that's not size-specific. It's just industry support. Absolutely. And that has been a problem with the dairy program. And it's a very sensitive issue, as you're probably well aware, because it pits the smaller to medium-sized producer against the larger larger producer. Uh, but it's a dilemma. It's just a dilemma. Where, where do you focus? And actually, uh, uh, the most significant numbers in the dairy operators are double the size of that small minimum double the size of the smaller producers that the dairy program really is, is going after. So uh, that's a discussion really for the next farm bill. But you're right. When you raise the flat price, if you will, the way we say it, if you raise the flat price for the industry's price, it, 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 it's far better because then it helps everybody without being prejudiced one way or the other on the size of operation. Now, here's the other part of it. We know that a lot more milk goes into cheese per, you know, per pound than milk because milk's 
3% water or whatever the, the actual number is. Um, you talk about milk demand. Uh, I'm going to the grocery store and first off, milk is a perishable product, fluid milk is, and I can tell you that there are humans in the United States of America that probably haven't bought a gallon of milk in the last year of their life, but in the last two weeks, I saw them with pushing out eight gallons. I'm like, how the hell, if you have only drank one gallon of milk in the last year, are you going to get through eight gallons before that goes bad? And so the demand right specifically now has to be as good as it's ever been for fluid milk. Oh, and I think you're going to see the numbers the next few weeks show that. Let me give you a personal example myself. I'm in literal lockdown. My doctor told me, do not leave the house. And then I got a craving for certain things. I haven't had an Oreo cookie for years. <laughs> I wanted Oreo cookies. What do you do with Oreo cookies? You yeah, want to no. dip them in milk. Right. And I did it last night, and I'm going to do it every night until this thing is over. And I'm cooking more at home now. I used to go out a lot to restaurants, bars, right. if you will. People cooking, you usually use milk. Right. And I think it's a combination of that. And it's real milk, not of this alternative. Right. Milk. And, 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 and that's good for the industry because we're going to be seeing, see again the plus side of the, uh, uh, of the milk equation. I see this all being price positive longer term. And granted, we have been beaten down, but that's more of a global issue on commodities. But here domestically, for sure, I see this all being price positive. First off, you know, we see the jokes and the people on social media. I saw it myself. I needed some mayonnaise. Now, I wasn't trying to hoard mayonnaise. I just had about, say I had a 12 ounces of mayonnaise left. I'm like, good God, if I got to be stuck in the house for the next month, I like sandwiches. You know what I don't like? Dry sandwiches. So I'm like, well, get me another tub of mayonnaise so I got on hand. You couldn't find any mayonnaise except vegan mayonnaise. I'm like, where are all those vegans now? Because it proves that, that when, the, when things get skinny, they run out and get the good stuff, eh? Well, absolutely. And I grew up, my mother tended to use Miracle Whip, which yeah. is not real mayonnaise, but right. you acquire a taste for Miracle Whip. And I've got two big jars right in my refrigerator. I agree with you. I, I made a turkey. And when you have a lot of leftover turkey, I put mayonnaise on. Yep. So I'm, I'm glad you're locked down. And then the question, of course, is how long you stay locked down. You know, who's going to sound the alarm and say, all clear? And then Jim Wiesmeyer walks out his door and says, wait, man, I just got, I, I hung out in my basement for a month and I came out doors and the first thing I do is get sneezed on by the neighbor kid who's asymptomatic and now I've got COVID-19. Yeah, it, it, let's hope they're prudent and listen to the medical of people. Trump is giving signals that it'll be a rollout, a, an incremental rollout, and Midwest could act, actually come first, uh, portions of Iowa. I think they're either going to go by regions of a state or even county by a state, and that's probably uh, prudent. But, you know, I did want to go back to one major program, Damien, in this $2 trillion rescue package that agribusiness and agriculture uh, producers should at least look into hey, and hey, that's wait, that wait. SBA program. Okay, before we do the SBA, because I definitely think that's very valuable, you and I talked about before we started recording, yeah. about the rollout and the time frame. Okay, I've been accused that I don't care about grandma and I only care about money because I said we need a time frame. I didn't say you know, tomorrow, I'm like, okay, fine. Give us a couple weeks. That's fine. Trump said Easter. Everybody got mad. I said, we need a time frame because businesses 
need to know what adjustments to make. They can't just all of a sudden, the phone rings tomorrow, I'm like, hey, you know what? We decided to be back in business. Okay, well, I gotta get my employees. I gotta get supplies. I don't have any raw materials. Hell, I don't even have, blah, 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 it goes on and on and on. But you said a rollout, and obviously agriculture is an essential business. It's essential as anything. Obviously, there's no food without us. But are you thinking that the way the directives now are saying is, even if we're shutting down Atlanta, or even if we're trying to say we're quarantining Dallas, the one thing that's not going to happen is out in the actual agriculture land where we make the grain sorghum or the corn or the soybeans or the wheat or the cranberries or the beef or whatever, we're going to say you can get out there sooner? Yes. Uh, this weekend, President Trump is going to get uh, new recommendations from his task force. Uh, it's not going to be Trump's total call. He's going to be under advisement of his experts. And if you watch every day, usually at 5.30 Eastern time, the, the COVID-19 briefing, they're very, it's like a real reality show. Uh, they're going to, he's going to be briefed this weekend. So we should have some announcement early next week on a potential strategy, I think would be. And I think you're absolutely correct. Business does need a game plan. And from what I can understand from my sources, if they do it, which I think they will by region or county within a state, then they'll closely monitor uh, the, the reality, the impacts of that. And once they have more and more data, It'll be data-driven. That'll give them the confidence to further uh, uh, you know, roll it out or to revise it and pull it back in certain areas. But they're going to be very careful of not opening up uh, areas around the what we call hot spots. Mm -hmm. you, right. know, uh, you know, and you know where they're at. Of course, New York, New Jersey, the metropolitan area, Cook County, Illinois, New Orleans, Louisiana, Atlanta. They're going to be very sensitive like that because now they have real data now that we've had enough number of weeks that they can show the progress, the rate of growth of infections versus deaths. So now they have data as opposed to these early horrible models that, if you recall, the United Kingdom uh, uh, put out that we were going to, this thing was going to kill 2 million UK people and 6 million Americans. And yeah. now, they, the last few days, they have dramatically downsized those estimates because we have real data. But again, I want to back you up. It's not cold-hearted to say you need a game plan. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to follow it exactly, but it, you do have to gear up. China is even finding that out as they lift some of their restrictions. Now they have a lot of people coming back to work, but they don't have any uh, any demand coming at them because the, the world is in virtual lockdown. So, so they're finding that out. Yeah, it's hard for me to get back to work right now. Absolutely. Well, there's a human element to this that, you know, that I get because I used to be on a stage as a comedian and I've been traveling the world for 26 years and as you have and we both get this. It's uncertainty. So when folks say, you just don't care about grandma and you only care about money. I'm like, well, first off, if we don't give some glimmer of hope to the economy, agricultural or otherwise, that we can, we're going to be open for business, we will look like a devastated, war-torn third world country by July 4th, and uh, it's going to be devastating. So if yeah. I said, 
give these folks some, some degree of certainty. And it's not about going on TV every day and telling them how many ventilators we have. It's more about here's where we are going to go for the next two weeks, then three weeks, whatever. Because if you think people are irrational in general, throw uncertainty in there. And next thing you know, they're fighting one another in a parking lot over toilet paper. That, yeah, that's what, absolutely. that's because of uncertainty. Yeah. And what began, clearly began as a healthcare crisis, the dire straits was this could, could morph into a financial crisis for which you just said, and Trump says, the, 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 America likes to work. Uh, you get, you're going to have pent up frustration mm. if you, the longer you stay in. So if you have an element of confidence with the data that you can start opening up certain areas, that'll obviously make people feel better and there's nothing like success. If it works, then you expand it. And I, I think you can defend yourself quite easily as long as it's backed on up on the data with confidence that uh, uh, they will retrench if they have to or expand it if they have confidence in the data. Okay, now, speaking of data and numbers, you and I talked about this before we started recording, and we gave our listeners, we said, hey, we're not just giving you a discussion that, you know, is giving you some ideas. And by the way, you mentioned this weekend uh, there will be an announcement. This podcast will be rolled out on Monday right yeah. after the weekend. So, uh, dear listener, uh, it could have come out. Yes. Yeah, plan accordingly. Okay. About these programs, uh, the Small Business Administration, I don't know. In my book, Do Business Better, I actually spoof the Small Business Administration. I say, I think they've got 3,000 employees and a budget of hundreds of millions of dollars, but I don't know one entrepreneur or small business person that's ever utilized their resources. Well, that might change based on this announcement. Please explain. Well, there's $349 billion authorized. I mean, it's a pot of money for SBA, and I'm going to put the loans in quotes because uh, uh, um, they're saying that as long as you fulfill the requirements, and that's all in the regulations, that loan will be forgiven. In other words, it's a grant. And in my reading of the language, I'm going to read a lot more this weekend, uh, agriculture does qualify uh, uh, both at the individual level and also at the company level, depending on number of employees, et cetera. Uh, I've been told by very good agriculture staffers up on Capitol Hill that this could be a huge potential uh, uh, lifeline, if you will, for cash flow uh, for the uh, ag sector, be it the individual producer or individual companies. Yeah, so we're going to, you and I both have read this because we keep up and also it impacts us. Um, so to dear listener, let's just say you and your spouse have a seed dealership, uh, you know, and that's whatever your business happens to be or a farm or uh, equipment manufacturing, small niche, whatever. What I'm reading is if you're less than 500 people employed, that means you're a small business. Um, I did not see anything about um, your income. Uh, that's only on this $1,200 payment. So there's three things. There's one where they're just going to throw you money, $1,200 per American, uh, if you make less than $99,000 per person or nine. 
198 as a married couple, and then $500 for your kids. Okay, that's the only one that has an income threshold from what I am seeing. If yes. your business makes $50 or if your business makes $500,000 of adjusted gross income, it does not matter for this SBA thing. So Jim, what I saw was they say you put the money, as long as you can say, here's how much we spent on employees last year. Now, what encouraged me was they said it doesn't even have to be payroll employees. It could be contract employees. I know like a farm person, they might say, hey, I can't have payroll and insurance for you, but seasonally, I can give you $10,000 in the spring and $10,000 in the fall, and you're a retired older guy and it works out for you, whatever. It's my understanding. You can say, I've got $20,000 that I spend on contractual employees, and I want to get a loan for that, and it's not going to be a loan. It's going to be a grant. Expand on yeah. that labor of any kind, labor of any kind, and that you will uh, continue that because the focus of the program is to help uh, individuals and companies keep uh, labor, uh, be it uh, a seasonal, if you will, or otherwise. Uh, and it's, it gets a little murky in agriculture where prior to this, I think they've really opened up and made the program far more flexible than typical. Uh, SBA programs and probably defined the way you initially let on. There were so many hoops in there that it just wasn't worth it. But now, uh, when you put th three, almost $350 uh, billion right. into this thing, that's a chunk of change even in Washington. So what, what I've been told to tell you people is to check with your banker first. Because if anyone can, can go through the process or be knowledgeable about this, or they should be, is your banker and our accountant. But if they say you don't qualify, don't give up. Uh, because my, and I think yours, initial reading of this, that the ad sector qualifies. It's to what degree and what other hoops you have to go through. Yeah, if you're a farmer, you are a small business. And again, yeah. they said the money that goes toward employees pay it said payroll first i'm like well that must mean that you actually withhold taxes on it then it said even contract employees yeah. and so that's people you pay and 1099 or on your tax returns you show that you wrote a check to them for less than six hundred dollars because therefore it was not necessary to 1099 them then it said also for utilities and now one might beg the question well wait a minute I'm out here in the boonies. I have a seed dealership and a farm out here in the you know hinterlands of Kansas. One of my utilities isn't just my electric bill. It's uh, to keep my business running. I've got my gas, which is a utility. I've got my internet, ethernet connection, whatever it should be, probably be, you know, satellite internet out there in the boonies. Those things to me are all utilities. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you be comfortable defending that? Absolutely. And, and those are the, when you get into the language of it, they tell you what types of receipts that they'll eventually need to see and things like that, because it's going to be fraught with a potential fraud and abuse uh, for overall. That's always happens with government programs, and yeah. especially with an aggregate program of $2 trillion. So they, they've got to be careful. But th there's going to be more and more information come out on this. I've been, I told SBA when I talked with them, when I could get them on the phone, to put out a QA and a uh, to a simple, in English, you know, in English, a QA and a uh, with the types of questions we're already asking. And hopefully, uh, I know the, I know the ag committees are, come, are trying to come up 
uh, with these Q&As working. But see, that's out of their jurisdiction. That's more the business, you know, committees. But I've been sent information by various, uh, you know, committees with their jurisdiction, and they're gearing up for this. So, and it, it's not like you have to go to your banker Monday morning and sign up for this thing. There's going to be time because they're going to have to get the regulations rolled out on this. It's not like the other portion of this where within three weeks, uh, you know, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said uh, uh, after a certain level, you know, certain income level or tax level, you're going to get within three weeks, you're going to get a check in the mail. It's not a question of that. This is big time stuff here where the amount of quote loan grant money, if yep. you will, eventually, is going to be huge in some operations. Yeah, so that's on the small business side, which again, many people listening to this qualify. Again, if Absolutely. you're an independent uh, crop insurance agent, or if you're an insurance agent that has you know, five, seven employees, it's all the same thing. Yeah. They, they said payroll, rent, uh, contract employees, and utilities. I'm trying to think of anything else that I saw in there. I don't know about insurances. You know, a lot of small business people, farmers in particular, have to insure the hell out of themselves. They have a lot of exposure. I didn't yeah. see anything on that. And it made me think that's one more that you almost could justify and say, a huge cost for me to keep my business going is my insurance because I have so much exposure. I have thousands of acres. I have grain bins out here. I have uh, an ethanol facility. I would think that maybe you could almost put that in there, but it wasn't named specifically. Yeah, we, we have to see. Well, in the case, I first wondered about ethanol plants because they're, they're really hurting right now. I don't see a refiners ethanol mentioned. However, I see wet milling uh, uh, you know, mentioned. With any new legislation, it's, you always start, and they usually begin it in the language of the text, with definitions. Okay. So that's the first area you always go to. And it's like reading Russian, you know. Yeah. But more and more information over the next week or so clearly is going to become out on this. So we're going to know a lot more at least a week from now. Okay. And then the other part of it, besides the SBA part of it, then going back to the United States Department of Agriculture. So direct purchases of what, you know, the government says we're going to buy peanuts or milk or whatever to keep the, uh, the demand up for that. You said direct payments. Uh, so we've seen it before, like, on MFP, it was, I think my neighbors got 62 and a half cents per bushel uh, of, of soybeans they would have produced in yeah. summer and then 62 and a half cents come winter or something like that. It was in stages. It was in stages. Well, for, let's say for corn and soybeans, just for an example, uh, that, I think that'll clearly come out of the CCC Charter Act borrowing authority. I know they don't want to roll out that type of program until summer. The reason, Sonny Perdue, USDA secretary, does not want to influence uh, the plantings of those crops with announcing a new program. Right. That's one. Two is that they're not going to call it MFP. Yeah, you said that. Right. Because they want it to become more flexible, and there's a, there's a concern that we're going to bump up against our amber box uh, cap under the World Trade Organization. Uh, I don't want to get too wonky on you, but by putting it as a result of the COVID ID virus, you know, 19 virus, that gives them more flexibility without getting into trouble with our World Trade Organization commitments. 
It also gives them time to come up with the program to make it better than even MFP2 was because there were some very wide county differences uh, in the corn and soybean uh, payments. So they'll try to temper that. On the direct payment side for other commodities like cattle and dairy, that'll be a new approach that they're going to look how to target that. I say that because of cattle. You got to be very careful with direct payments in cattle because of the different sectors within the cattle industry, cow-calf, etc. Right. And you can upset the industry very easy right. when you have a payment program. Example, I remember years ago when Reagan was president, we had a whole herd buyout in dairy. Yep. They didn't think it all the way through because it affected the hamburger market. By killing the dairy cows, it flooded the market short term with a lot of hamburger. Meat. Yeah, and I remember that. I've referenced that before. Uh, you know, I'm the ag econ guy, and you and I both uh, love to talk about these things. I was a kid, and uh, we were we were a dairy farm that probably should have taken the buyout because we were not exactly thriving, and we were not uh, overly um, uh, technologically advanced because we were just kind of operating on a shoestring. We did not take the dairy buyout program, but when you grab, even if it's only a bunch of these little 50 cow dairies, which is what there were a lot of back then, yes. you're still grabbing uh, hundreds of thousands of Holstein cows, generally, and throwing them into hamburger. <laughs> so you see, you're not allowed to milk this cow. What are you going to do with it? Well, you got to butcher it. Well, where does a seven-year-old Holstein cow go? Burger. Yeah, so you just took a whole bunch of money out of the hands of the beef producers, and it didn't, it didn't do them very well for a while. And that's what happened. Uh, I remember, God bless his soul, my Uncle Johnny was a dairy producer at the time, but he was going to retire the next year. I called him up on the telephone and said, Uncle Johnny, uh, this program's going to be coming out. And he listened to it. He goes, well, that's like a Social Security payment for me. And it was. And so for some people, it really helped. For uh, other people, it helped them transition out of dairy into yeah. another more profitable enterprise. Other ones stuck through it. And you know the dairy market, feast or famine. And, and I, don't, I don't see that changing anytime soon. They do an amazing job of uh, once they get high prices, they'll make sure to create low prices. But we do that throughout agriculture, don't we? Yes, yes. But bottom line, these programs, uh, you had about $450 million for food purchase programs, uh, more food stamp uh, funding. I think they're going to get a lot more food stamp funding in the next one that we're going to have, the phase four. But, you know, the dairy and other products were impacted by the shutdown of the schools because yep. of the purchases and all that. So, uh, yeah, this is not, I'll never call anything a bailout because it's not going to make, uh, you know, most people whole. Uh, there's some aspects of this relative to the uh, jobless benefits that could, but not in the ag sector because, uh, oh, my God, the pain that's going on. But but this is a chunk of money over the next few, I would say, two months that could serve as a holding pattern for cash flow uh, in, the, in the realm of the agriculture sector, the $9.5 billion yep. plus the CCC Charter Act money. When it comes outside the, the ag sector on the SBA program that we said, that's more longer term. That will solidify a number of businesses. And that's really the the, the, the major programs in this as it impacts, I think, the business of agriculture. 
So uh, I agree with you. And then we think we're going to see another program rolled out and it may not be ag specific, but it will have ag. There, there's going to be another program that is both just general and another one that's also ag specific. And that happens what, by June? June sometime in the summer. I never like to get too specific because, you know, what, what do you do? You get a surprise if you say June 15th, which is yeah. my birthday. No, you don't. But sometime in the summer after, uh, the, the, hopefully the planning will be done by then. We never yeah. know after last year. Yeah. But and I think that's okay. That's okay because we've had the, the third installment of MFP2 recently came out. Uh, but as long as a banker knows that another program is going to come out, they'll probably uh, be a little more comfortable in any cash flow needs. Mm -hmm. Again, what your listeners should hear that in this case, help is on the way. <laughs> help is on the way. Yep. And, and it's not a bailout. It really serves the purpose of cash flow needs. And in the case of the SBA, they want to keep people working. They don't want to have the case where if they go off the payrolls, then it's going to be harder and harder to get the business of America jump-starting again. Well, we talked to you and I before we started recording, and you know, I have never done any of those things, and for the first time, I'm looking at these SBA loans that could become grants for the money I spend on people I hire, and I maybe I'm being justifying, but the government made it so I don't have revenue for the next four months. Well, for the next three and a half months. <laughs> well, if you've made it so I can't run my business for three and a half months, I truly might need some revenue for some cash flow purposes to keep my business running, or I have to hunker down. And we're already hunkering down enough, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, Mrs. Mason and I... Uh, I make sure I go to my office as often as possible because she's just getting tired of seeing me. She's like, isn't it time for you to get on an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you loud and clear, loud and clear, because we're both speakers, and I've had three or four speeches canceled, and that's cash flow out the window. Although at, at my age, I was a prudent saver, so I can get by for a while. Uh, but, yeah, nobody uh, should be d d detrimental when every decision here they didn't have any control over. And that's why I will admit this country is great because both political parties, even though there was some skullduggery involved this past week, uh, overall, uh, they came to the rescue, being, being uh, the executive branch, the legislative branch, $2 trillion, unbelievable. And the Federal Reserve, uh, combined with the Treasury Department, uh, basically announced $4 trillion on top of the $2 trillion, yeah. but those are not direct payments. But th that $4 trillion was to reliquify our marketplace, and it was needed because you started seeing stories in Barron's and the Wall Street Journal the last, what, 10 days, even mentioning the word depression. Yeah. You know, that's what really got me started to get nervous because I thought, oh my God, they're you know, starting you, to count on this. You are not alone. I saw the word depression and I pointed out in one of my broadcasts that I said the Great Depression took 12 years to get out of and we did not get out of it contrary to what everybody believes from FDR's programs we got out of it because we entered World War II and had to ramp up the war <laughs> machine and I said don't think for a second this is why I keep saying we need a time frame on when everything can we know we're going to have some death loss and I'm sorry about that and I'm not being mean but do you want a 12 year great depression that takes a world war to get out of are you yeah. comfortable saying we've got to kind of at least throw some government money at it and then also kind of put a 
time frame on when it's time to start working. Yeah, and actually, when you look back at the Depression, I remember reading Bernanke's uh, dissertation on the Depression, and the Fed and uh, the White House actually made it worse because uh, the Fed increased interest rates, and the, uh, the White House at the time, uh, Hoover, et cetera, and working with lawmakers started to cut cost. Yeah. So you couldn't have done anything worse. So now what we're doing is we're throwing everything plus the kitchen sink at this thing because we have to. So last question for Jim Wiesemeyer. He's the Washington, D.C. policy analyst at Pro Farmer. Maybe he'll join me again in the summer when we come out with the next round of this. Does it work? Does it? Will this work? Yep. Uh, short term, I think, yes. And I think long term, if we can get America back to what we do good, work, uh, we've got short term uh, degradation in the demand. Long term, we've got pent up demand for some of the reasons we've already talked about, uh, both domestic utilization and from the export. We're just now seeing China start to ramp up their imports of U.S. corn, uh, sorghum, uh, pork, etc., and that's going to continue now. So, yeah, we need to we need to analyze this thing. But uh, the total belief in me of this great country will say it'll work. Uh, and if it's if it if it shows that we need some additional rescue funding, uh, that's phase four, phase five, etc. Uh, so we're going to have some data in the next two to three weeks to see if this thing is indeed working and where, and you know there's gonna be some potholes and mistakes and, and uh, that they have to true up. Uh, but I think we finally got the people in this town at least working together in order to get uh, some uh, rescue funds uh, uh, out there. So that's my bottom line. Yes, I'm a believer that uh, it will work short term, but long term, we've got to get this country back to work. His name is Jim Wiesmeyer. You can keep up with him. Check him out at Farm Journal. That's where I watch his uh, occasional videos. He's got a podcast also. Tell me your podcast. It's called Signal to Noise, Washington, D.C., Signal to Noise. We did it at 2 o'clock Eastern time today, okay? All right, so go ahead and check that out. Uh, in the meantime, those of you that are uh, watching, because I now offer this as both audio podcast on your favorite format, also you can watch it. We have a playlist for the Business of Agriculture, and we have a playlist for the Do Business Better podcast on my YouTube channel. You can just go on YouTube and type in Damian Mason or D Mason Comedy. That's the actual channel because that goes back to my political comedy days. You might also have noticed, dear listeners, that Jim Weissmeyer is very brilliant. For you people that viewing this, my notice I was moving around a lot because I'm in the world's most uncomfortable chair. Remind me not to do that again. You also may have noticed, dear viewers, that I'm wearing a Veltima fungicide uh, pullover. This was given to me by BASF. That's right. They are a client. They hired me two times this winter to do presentations at meetings for their uh, distributors, uh, retailers. You know what? If you became a sponsor of the Business of Agriculture podcast, I would wear your pullover. So if you're interested in sponsoring the Business of Agriculture, become a sponsor. Look me up, Damien at DamienMason.com. You know how to find me. Jim Wiesmeyer, thanks for being here. Anytime, Damien. Till next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.